Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Justin Spitzer is a television writer and producer who worked as a writing assistant on Queer as Folk and Grounded for Life before breaking into the writer's room on The Office, where he worked for seven seasons and received three Emmy nominations. Spitzer went on to create, executive produce, and showrun his own beloved NBC sitcom, Superstore. In 2021, he signed a new four-year overall deal with Universal Television. His first big project under that deal is American Auto, which received a sneak preview on NBC and Peacock, and stars Anna Gasteyer as the new CEO of Payne Motors in Detroit, who just so happens to know nothing about cars. Spitzer spoke to me about his love for workplace comedies, his own career trajectory in Hollywood, and how having a wife who's also in the biz, Jenna Bands, the creator of NBC's Good Girls, helps them both keep on the right track. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance. And now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. Well, Justin Spitzer, congratulations on getting another show on on broadcast television. That's uh, it's quite an achievement for anybody, especially for all of the aspiring writers and comedians out there. Just just Thanks. getting just getting a development deal is is sometimes a career highlight for people. So congratulations. Yeah, w- w- one last deal before the before the whatever the sunset of network television. I don't know. Is that what we should be putting out there? I don't know. I, I feel like I wanted to drop name drop Nikki Fink, but I think people are are are, are getting young enough that they won't even get that reference anymore. No, no, that's their grandmothers used to read Nikki Fink. <laughs> so, last things first. What was your last workplace that you encountered before you made it into a writer's room? Oh wow! Um, uh, if you also don't include, you know, uh, general production, uh, you know because I've worked on shows in like the art department and stuff. Um, uh, God, what would it have been? Um, I worked, I mean, this is, I worked for this dot com that was tr- like trying to stream media. If you, I think that's far enough away from the industry back in like 2000 um, called center seat that, um, that was not successful. Uh, it turns out uh, you you couldn't, you couldn't stream much programming. Like, so even if you had a, a show with a guy's face in this frame, it would still buffer for 20 minutes. And, um, but that, that felt like actually a normal office at any rate. What about, what about other odd jobs that you had growing up? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, this and that, I would temp most summers. So I get in retrospect, it was, a, a great way to see a lot of different workplaces. So, you know, I worked on a, assembly lines a couple of times. I worked in offices. I worked in the mailroom uh, of places. Um, so, you know, a couple of weeks here, a couple of weeks there. I did um, telephone polling. Um, yeah. So, so, so before there were robocalls back when they were just regular human people calling that was yeah. that was something you had to do. It was terrible because at least if you're trying to sell someone something, if they hang up, they hang up and you move on. But this was 
calling businesses. I think it was a survey about like the the business to business yellow pages or something. But the, the problem with polling is you can't accept no for an answer because if you do, you're selecting the group as these are only people that enjoy doing polls. So you have to right. like move people and con them and people are busy and you're like, no, but just a little, let me ask, ask you a few questions more. And if you don't do that, you're, 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 you're making it a biased group, I guess. Um, and it was just, it was awful. It's the worst couple of weeks. <laughs> have, have you seen that, uh, that uh, Boots Riley movie about no, customer service? No. Um, any, anyhow. So, so were you one of those people who knew early on that you wanted to be a screenwriter? No, I, I mean, I would say by the time I went to college, um, I went to Northwestern, they have a good like theater and film and stuff. And I f- was leaning towards something in the industry, whether acting, writing, directing, I, I, I didn't really know. Um, uh, and I always thought being a lawyer would be a good backup. And I, 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 if anything, sometimes I think, oh, law would have been really, really fun. I, I really would have, might have enjoyed that. Um, but uh, uh, and then I, I, for a couple of years after college, I kind of uh, did this and that. Oh, I was a, a strolling actor at the Jekyll and Hyde theme restaurant in Chicago. I guess that was my last uh, other job before that. Uh, it's, it's, is that or Second City? It's really. <laughs> I did Second City classes, but I don't think I could have made it onto the, onto the stage there. Um, but uh, yeah. And then finally, uh, I think I wanted to be a screenwriter. And somehow I thought that being a TV writer would be like an easy fallback to being a movie writer, knowing nothing about the industry. So I started writing specs and kind of landed in it that way. Did you take any classes at Northwestern that, that prepared you for that? Or I mean, of- I took some writing. I took acting classes and film classes. I did all that stuff at Northwestern. Yeah. But, but anything to prepare you for the idea of writing spec scripts and showing up no, in Hollywood? Not really. I mean, I, I took the basic writing class they have. They have this cool writing for the media program that I applied to and got, got rejected from. And I thought that was the end of my career there. Um, so, no, and I, I kind of think a lot of those classes are just about doing it over and over and, and getting experience through through practice. So um, I think I, I in writing my specs, I think I kind of figure out how to write a spec. How many specs did you write then before you sold uh, My Butterfly for Scrubs? Wow. Wow. You've, you've done research. <laughs> wow. Um, I, that was my fifth spec. I, my second scrubs, I wrote scrubs before that. I wrote a Frasier, a Will and Grace, a Malcolm in the middle, a scrubs, and then that scrubs. And that was it. Why did you pick those shows to write specs for? Was it because you loved those shows or because you felt like you could figure out those characters? I, um, I, I like the shows. I definitely, and I, I felt like they were, you know, back then, you know, 2000, there weren't as many shows out there. So you just picked the show that a lot of people watched. And uh, so there are only really a handful you could choose from. Um, uh, and I liked them. I thought, I felt like it's so bad to say, because I'm sure they're very difficult, but I somehow, I thought I could fake my way through a Frasier and Will and Grace. You know, I think early on it was like, I never, I, I thought if I could just fool people into thinking I would, could be a writer, maybe someone would give me a job. So um, even those, like I just watched a bunch and I wrote a bunch of jokes sort of randomly that felt like they were jokes that could be in that kind of show. And then I constructed a plot around it. It ended up working out okay, but I really kind of did it backwards. Um, I think there's some value to that, like fake it till you make it. And I really felt like I was faking it. Um, for those. And then Scrubs actually was one of my favorite shows at the time. Um, so I kind of built to that. That 
that might have been why that that's the one that worked, right? Is because you actually intuitively felt in your bones the the relationships and how it should work. That and you know, um, the story with that was um, my agent used to play basketball with Bill Lawrence, and he knew something like ten years before that on uh, I want to say Spin City was that Bill Lawrence's old show. Right. Yeah, uh, there was one incident where he actually bought a spec someone wrote. And normally that's never the case. You know, you, you write it as a sample. Um, but he said, you know, Bill did this once before. And so if you can write uh, a scrubs that stands out enough, that feels like, uh, you know, an out of the box idea, I could maybe get it in front of him. Um, so were you working as a writer's assistant at that point? Yeah, I was uh, my first writer assistant job. It, on title was it was Queer as Folk, the American version. Uh, even though I was really more just an assistant to the executives, I didn't really need a writer's assistant. And then um, that's when I wrote it. And then I was a writer's assistant on Grounded for Life, and that was where uh, that was the year that they made that Scrubs. And I had a weird week of being a writer assistant in, or getting to go to set on Scrubs in the morning, and then driving over to Radford to be assistant, then go back to Scrubs. It was a crazy week of where I'm like living my dream and then you know being a peon again (laughs) now not to date either of us but but those early experiences were coming up on 20 years ago right yeah how is it different for someone trying to break into a writer's room now than it was when you were first trying to get those writer assistant jobs at Queer as Folk and Grounded for Life um how is it different well I mean or is it, or is it, is it not different at all? Is it? Is it no, still I think it's probably. I think it's probably very different. I mean, the industry has changed so much. I don't. I mean, everything from what samples you write. You know, the fact that we don't have those few shows everybody watches and is talking about. And now people don't write specs of existing shows. They write uh, pilots, and you know, because sometimes those get made and they they jump to being uh, not showrunners, but like a high level writer f- f- from someone with no experience. Um, which I always have a hard time with when it comes to reading writers because, you know, every voice is distinct. But if you're reading someone who writes a pilot that's not like your show at all, it's hard to know how they are as as a writer. Um, And then in terms of those writer's assistant jobs, um, I mean, look, being a good writer's assistant is being a good writer's assistant. I don't think that's changed. But I think there's just... um, there's like this expectation now that everybody has to be, have a web series. Like everyone I know is also working on a web series and uh, it's really hard. They're having to like, you know, my assistant was talking to me about how the difficulties she's facing and uh, thinking that I sort of knew how I would do it. And I was saying like, no, in my job, running a writer's room, it's hard and putting together a show, but like I have a line producer. I'm not having to call in favors and having to, to, to essentially be my own producer of the show. So in that respect, I guess it's good, but um, sometimes I wish uh, writer's assistants could just uh, sort of sit back and get the full room experience without having to feel like they also had to be, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs. And, you know, everything kind of changed for you with the office, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been on a show, um, uh, a couple shows beforehand, but you know, little jobs that go away on shows that go away. The, the office was the thing that absolutely made my career. What did you, what did you take from, you were on seven seasons. Is that right? I was on for seven, six and a half, basically seven seasons. I got there season three and was there through almost the end. When, when you left that, what did you, what did you take from that experience other than piles of money? What did you take <laughs> from that experience to 
that you then took with you to both Superstore and now American Auto? Oh, I mean, more than I, I, I don't even, I think, I wonder sometimes how I would be as a writer if I hadn't been through that. And again, aside from, I mean, money aside, but also uh, credits aside, I mean, that, that show, that credit opened up a lot of doors for me, but I think it also taught me how to be a writer. I mean, Greg Daniels is, I mean, he's brilliant in so many ways, but one great thing he do, did that I wish I would have would do is he, I think he viewed his job as teaching us how to write. You know, he, he would sort of almost give us lessons. It felt like we were going through grad school. Um, and to a certain extent, we were learning what he valued so that we could be better writers on his shows. Um, but so many of those lessons I take going forward and I, I think about all, all the time. And I think that takes a lot of confidence. You know, I, I would feel, uh, I, I would, I would feel insecure about give, telling people on my staff how to write when I don't yet feel like I know the answers, but Greg had that level of experience where he could do that. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think he looked for writers that were, uh, had a level of talent and, and felt like they would bring something to the table, but then he took them and he molded all of us into becoming much better writers. What about in terms of I, all of, all of the shows you've been working on for the last decade plus have been workplaces. So obviously that's something that still resonates with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the framing device though has changed. Like you're not, you're not as wedded to the, the conceit of the documentary with your, with your, yeah. Show. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I actually would do think about going back and doing a mockumentary at some place at some point. There's, there's a lot of benefits to doing it. You get, uh, you get pipe out super easy when a character can tell the camera what's happening. And um, I'm always surprised there's not a little more of them. So I do have some uh, ideas in mind for it. But even though the Superstore and American Auto aren't strictly mockumentary, I'm still using a lot of those conceits. You know, a, a camera work, the camera's a little shaky and uh, shows across the board are doing that. I kind of attribute that partially to reality television. You know, we watch so much, sort of that's how we expect our, our how we sort of digest our comedy. We want things a little less staged and artificial. Um, and you're sort of aware there's a cameraman. So it's like, who are we, who, who are we fooling? There's a cameraman there, <laughs> the camera moves. Um, but then other things like, you know, in the office, we would do these spy shots. So like they're aware of the camera, but then if there's a private moment, they would be behind, uh, close the door and then the camera would shoot through blinds or would shoot around the corner and the frame would be obscured. And even though our, the characters in these shows aren't conscious of cameras, I try when there's a very private moment to uh, construct it so that the camera is further away and the frame is obstructed. So you have that sense that we're catching a moment that they wouldn't want uh, seen so publicly. Right. There's, there's a, there's a scene like, well, once the, once the factory guy gets promoted and then she brings him into her office. That's, that's, yeah. That's episode one, in fact, but, oh, uh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that one, yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah. yeah. Your wife also has, has become, has bumped up the ranks from writer to creator showrunner. Yeah. As, as you two both like moved up the ranks and started to like take control over your own, your own voices and your own, uh, your own ambitions of what kind of shows you wanted to put on the air. How, how does that, how does that teamwork worked in terms of like feeding off of each other in terms of like dealing with universal, for instance, uh, or, 
Because you, uh, you both have had experiences with NBC Universal. Universal yeah, well, she, she spent a lot of her career at, uh, at ABC and moved over to Universal fairly recently. I've been at Universal just about my whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would say early on, we were we worked together a lot and, and showed each other things and, you know, even had times where it wrote scenes for each other if we were behind and, and, and it was much more collaborative. I think now, uh, just because when we have shows, we have our own staffs and also uh, we have kids and stuff. I mean, the, the the biggest way we use each other is to say, go home and watch the kids because I have to have to work late. Um, so sometimes we talk about working on something again. We've had this screenplay that we wrote years and years ago. We've been talking about trying to do a rewrite and see if there's an interest, but um, we haven't, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, we haven't talked about collaborating any more than that. Oh, no. I, what, what about, though, you know, because you have your individual projects in terms of just dealing with the industry, because being a writer can be such a solid, even though you work in a writer's room, when you're, when you're trying to pitch your ideas, it's a very, it can be a very solitary experience. And, and then, you know, trying to find producers to team up with and getting into the room to pitch. So before you had Superstore, before she had Good Girls, was there any sort of like back and forth in terms of like morale boosting or insider or like not insider information, but where the shop talk is really more teamwork driven in terms of like, you both want to succeed. Yeah. Um, God, I mean, I'm sure it was in so, so many ways, you know, you go home, you you talk about your day with your spouse and uh, it's helpful when they can, understand what you're going through a little more. So I guess in, in that respect, there's been a little bit of teamwork at the same time. Sometimes it's almost harder. It's like, you know, my friends who aren't married to another writer, they can come home and say like, Oh man, I just, uh, or I'm going to be late tonight. I've got a mix. So, you know, it starts at four. I don't know what time I'll be home. And I say that to her and she's like, a mix should not take you more than three hours. So I expect (laughs) you to be here. (laughs) So there's no, uh, she's not impressed by me at all. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's not it's so it's not as beneficial sometimes as, as being married to a doctor or a real estate agent or what have you no at least they can tell you stuff about another industry and that's helpful this is just we all <laughs> we all know what the other one knows but look i i think there probably is value too in saying like how do you navigate this and um and my wife is much more social than i am and you know outgoing so she's always been able to uh help me uh, navigate that end of things. Back, back early on in my career, when I take these general meetings, and I would just sit there. I'd have no idea what to say at the beginning of the meeting. I'd be like, "They'd say, how are you?" And I would like fall to pieces. And she would just like go over. It's like, here's some small talk you can make. Like, t- teach me how to like <laughs> be a person. I guess. Was who was that person for you early on? Was it was it Jenna, or was there someone before that who was like um, uh, served as like a mentor for you? No, I mean, we came out here together, you know, she, mm-hmm. I, I moved out here, she stayed with me, she was ready to go to law school. Um, so we were those people. And then uh, our agent, we have the same agent, we linked up with him very early on. He's a good friend, too. And so in terms of a mentor, he sort of like, helped us navigate a lot of that, too. Now, of course, with American Auto, which is your newest, brightest star <laughs> in the NBC Universal Peacock Galaxy, mm-hmm. uh, all of the all of the background materials suggest that you originally tried to put this together eight, nine years ago? 2013. Yeah, is when I, the original pitch document was. So much has changed in those years. How, when you went back to it, how did you perceive it differently? 
Well, it's a very different show than it would have been. I mean, I did that after I left the office. Uh, I left the office. I had a, a pilot that got picked up and didn't go. And then I was trying to think what I wanted to do. And I decided, well, what, what about a workplace show more on the corporate end of things? Because every now and then they would refer to corporate. Um, uh, but that show, uh, it, it had certain similarities. Um, but then truthfully, once uh, once it didn't go, the following year I was doing Superstore and I took certain characters and relationships from that show into Superstore because that was a, American Auto was a dead pilot at that point. So uh, the, currently the, the Jack Sadie, I think they were a little more similar to Jonah Amy in, in the original American Auto. And then uh, every now and then I would, I would talk with Tracy Pacosta, who was at the studio at the time I did American Auto and then joined the network and has since gone on to Netflix. But I would talk to her about, bring back this show um so when i did i had to kind of like now come up with new relationships and new characters uh because i'd used the other ones in superstore so um you know that show was i think the pilot was about developing a hybrid electric car and for red america you know wh- why does that only appeal to to blue america uh so it still had i guess a little bit of a social and political bent but certainly not about self-driving cars or anything like that and i just think the show it, is very different having been through Superstore, you know, Superstore, so much of it was about uh, dealing with these seemingly arbitrary or cruel decisions from corporate. So a lot of this season has been about now understanding how those decisions get made. Um, And I think that, so the show would have been very different had I not gone through Superstore first. Well, the car industry is also so much different. You know, you just mentioned that we've gone from trying to introduce the idea of a hybrid car to self-driving cars. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was very <laughs> different. And I mean, like, the auto industry was always sort of, like, just... It wasn't arbitrary, but it was almost. Like, I didn't set out to do a show about the car industry. I set out to do a show about a, a corporate office and, and chose the car industry to tell that through. Because um, I'm not especially a car person. That's that's something I'm trying to research as much as possible in, in the telling of this. Why would, you, why would you pick the car industry, then? Was it... I think, that intrigued you about it, especially well, if you're if you're not like a a, a gearhead or a yeah, well, I'm not any kind of person. I can't tell what what kind of uh, what kind of if there's an industry I would have liked more. But I, I just wanted it to be a giant corporation that could kind of give as many opportunities for stories as possible. So you know, a, a corporation where there's lobbying. You know, we don't go. We, we don't this season have them go to like DC to lobby, but that's something they could do or mm-hmm. uh, deal with international travel. Just, you know, have as many opportunities for different kinds of stories as, as I could. And there's not really that many industries for that. I mean, I thought of pharmaceuticals early on, both my parents were in the pharmaceutical industry, um, but that felt like it could potentially get a little jokey um, in, in different respects. Um, or it felt like that would then really feel like it was all about pharmaceuticals. I mean, those stories would be too appealing to tell anything else, you know, uh, and this felt like, okay, I could do some sto- stories about cars, but it's really um, more about stuff in general. It's about earnings calls and where to open a factory and stuff that any, uh, you know, number of industries might deal with. Although Anna Gasteyer's character does come from pharmaceuticals. Right? I kept that, I kept that little piece of it. Right. Uh, what about in terms of casting relative unknowns versus casting people that you know, because Superstore came with America Ferrara, Mark McKinney, even mm-hmm. Ben Feldman had kind of some face name recognition mm-hmm. when Superstore started. Right? Whereas with American Auto, it's really Anna Gasteyer, and then 
Yeah, and a was, bunch of fresh faces. Um, yeah, My apologies it, to Baronholtz for no, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it, it was sort of just you. Um, you see who's who's interested in the show, and 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 you go from there. There, there. there was no like thought behind it. You know, even the beginning of Superstore, it's not like we were right away. We're like it needs to be America and, and no one else. You know, we we thought about a lot of people, and you you, you want to have at least one it's good to have at least one name early on as a central role. It, it helps sell it a little, you know, on that show when Mark McKinney read, I was thrilled, but like we hadn't gone out to him. I just saw his name on the sheet and, and it was a nice surprise. Um, and so for this show, that's sort of just the way it, it laid out. Uh, I'd worked with Humphrey was actually acted in my first pilot I ever did that was shot uh, when I left it. And so I've known him for years and uh, he's amazing. And yeah, John, that part I originally thought of as a very different type of part. And then I was talking to John on set and he had read it and he liked it. And he's, he's just a dream to work with. Um, and then, yeah, people just read and we found the people, people that fit the parts or change the parts to fit the people. So X Mayo came in for Dory. Dory was written as a very different part. Um, and, uh, but she was great. So we adapted it. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm never quite sure with creators slash showrunners, how much you write parts with specific people in mind or how much you're kind of angling for, for yeah, the, I, the chemistry of the cast. I, I mean, I think I sort of, I'll, I'll come up with an actor or two as like a general feel just so I can write it and hear some voices in my head. But it's very rare that, I mean, you don't even necessarily want those people for real. You just want that kind of voice. Um, and I mean, I mean, there's so much, many things out there. The idea that you could write someone and have an actor in mind and actually have that person be it. If it's not someone that you already have an existing relationship with, it seems like uh, it's, it's pretty rare. Um, now, I, you know, as someone, as a journalist who's outside the business but covers the business, there's 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 kind of a conventional wisdom that definitely with sitcoms, perhaps even more than with dramas, that a sitcom in season two can be very different from this, what the sitcom was in season one. Yeah. What, what has been your experience with that and how it's translating to how you approach American auto right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the office season two, everyone would always talk about how that's where the show came into uh, its own. Um, People say, people, we would always laugh about this at the office, that fans would point out that season two is where uh, they started, the office started doing its own stories, which wasn't true at all. I mean, the, the pilot <laughs> was the same as the BBC pilot, and season one is wholly original. But, um, you know, and Superstore too, and I think the, the thought is you sort of, you start to find what the show really is, what what the actors do well. You kind of like, you know, you start you, season one, you're kind of like, flailing and you're trying to figure out what the show is and then season two you know what the show is and you have all those big juicy low-hanging fruit ideas to do and then over time you do those and you start having to go up the tree but I, I i but it's not conscious it's not like i'm thinking through season one okay this is just the experiment phase and we'll see what works and who knows and then you know right now i couldn't tell you how the show is going to change i imagine if we come back for season two the show will feel different and if we're lucky enough to be on for years fans will all say that season one was terrible and season two is where we found ourselves. But I wish I knew what that was going to be, but I don't yet know. I, I don't know what our show is that I've learned at this point that I didn't know at the beginning of season one, but maybe by the time we finish airing, I will. Where we're, we're, as we're talking right now, there are two episodes up on Peacock. Where, how many more have you? So there's 10 total. 
10, including those two. And have you shot them all? Yeah, shot, shot, edited, sound. Well, we have a few, we mixed them all. We have some VFX to do left, but it's basically done. Well, a mix should really only take about it should a should only hour. take three hours. Be home. <laughs> Be home by seven. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's done. That's the other thing is, you know, if, if people start to like the show more, anyone who says, oh, they saw what was working or they read Twitter and they took it to heart and they changed the show, the show's done at this point. So uh, that's not what happened. Has, has streaming changed the way you approach a show as a showrunner slash writer? Because... I know we talk about how streaming has changed the viewing experience that people want to are almost trained now to binge a show instead of watching it week to week. Has it changed? Has that impacted how you approach the show from, from the front end? Uh, No, I wouldn't say it really has for me. I mean, I think maybe for this show, I was, we were a little more serialized than Superstore was season one. Not, not tremendously. So, um, and I think that maybe that was because we're aware that more and more people are, are binging and are probably going to watch it in, in order. Um, but uh, I don't know if that was conscious or just sort of um, the way this show unfolded. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think there's more. You know, I, I think the network has been great and more, you know, willing to take chances, let us, let us try things. And um, that could be because... Um, uh, I had enough success with Superstore that they're, they're, they're trusting me a little more. But I, I also think uh, maybe the fact that people are watching on so many different platforms, you know, that it doesn't feel like, well, this one thing has to appeal to, you know, 40% of the population, you know? Uh, so I, I think maybe network is willing to take more chances now than, than they would have been 10 or 20 years ago. Okay. And last question, how has, writing and, and, and producing American auto changed your own perceptions of the auto industry. Um, man, I don't know that I had perceptions of the auto industry at at the beginning. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm learning about it. I had no perceptions because I knew nothing about it, but now I have a, a subscription to automotive news and I'm learning as much as I can. Um, I wish I had a better answer for you, given that it's the last question than that one. But well, uh, well, <laughs> is, is a guy like Elon Musk is he uh, is he someone who can who can fit into a, the world of American Auto, or is I he think, already too much of a like a trope kind of cartoon character himself? Oh, kind of like oh, people talk about. Well, you can't make fun of Trump because Trump already is ridiculous. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if either he or some version of him were to come to the show in the future. Um, but that would always, I would never want the show to be about that character. That's not this show, you know? It, and I feel like it's like Silicon Valley had characters like that. Right. So, you know, they had, um, what's his face, that guy who was like the, the billionaire and they had a, a lot of really colorful characters. Um, and so, yeah, we might deal with that in some way. I think so many people who hear about the show talk about Elon Musk right away. It, 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 it It's a very high bar to clear because people are, yeah, already have, their ideas of what's going to make that character funny. Um, and look, I think he is very funny. At the same time, I'm in awe of him. I mean, people like to shoot him down and shit on him, but like, uh, I don't know. I, he's done, he's pretty amazing no matter what you think of him personally. Sounds like he is going to appear then. <laughs> if I can get Elon, <laughs> Elon has an open invitation. To be All right. Well, you heard it here. Thank you so much, <laughs> Justin. I really no appreciate problem. your time. It was great talking to you anytime. Bye. 
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.